Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Last time you were on the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, you're back by popular demand. Stop. You really are. I don't want to hear it. The people want to hear more. <laughs> and what you told us last time was a wonderful story about your trip to Guatemala when you felt comfortable and good about traveling because you've done it a lot. But I want to hear about South America where you weren't in a good space and you were kind of freaking out. I want to hear about that meltdown. And I want to hear the clips that you recorded from Talking Shit with Sean, as we talked about in episode 18. And I want to see how they correlate to these stories. Just just come up and rehash all the, remember all those really hard stories? Let's talk about them real quick. You remember those really tough times in your life? And clip uh, this microphone onto your shirt before we do it. Yeah, let's keep this around forever. <laughs> People got to know. They're good ones. It's, yeah, ones that, again, you know, like, yeah, looking back on them, it's, it's, it's nice to be on the other side. Sure. You made it through. Well, currently making it, I would say. I don't know about made it. It's a daily struggle. <laughs> just <laughs> Life. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, let's get into it. We're right really here. talking about you life. And I, what are we, South America? No. Fuck hostile, let's homies. This is life, <laughs> homies. Joe, there's a lot I need to get off my chest right here. Was this trip to South America kind of your first real trip out of the country? 100%. Yeah, yeah. I've never, never been outside of the country before. Okay. Um, Disneyland when I was a kid, maybe yeah. a, a Canada Rock the Bells trip when we were in high school, but I'd never right. been you know, outside of North America, let's say. I had the pleasure of talking with you a couple times before these trips. Oh boy, yeah. And you were in a headspace. You were in a different yeah. headspace than you are now. It's nice to see you now. <laughs> like, as, as you call it on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I remember our talk at Limelight more than most. We were at a bar in southeast Portland called the Limelight. Uh, dive that. bar, pool... Uh, sad crowd. <laughs> yeah, a, middle of the day drinkers. Yeah. <laughs> us being some of them, it's not, not it's not a good look. No, but uh, but it was a necessary conversation. Yeah, I, it was a couple buds catching up. Mm-hmm. And you were just you were in a place where you were ready to at least get out of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I'd kind of I'd had my fill for a long time at that point, and I was on the shoot. The way I remember it, it would have been a week or two before I left, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. soon before. Yeah, definitely. I was like kind of in the process of selling off the last of my stuff at that mm-hmm. point is what I remember. So I'm sure that the freak out had taken total effect. Oh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it was in prime form at that yeah. point. And I, yeah. To give uh, the listeners some context, you're, what, <laughs> you're maybe 23 at the time? 20, yeah, I would have just been turned 24 that summer. Okay. We've talked about that age. It's a tough one, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're just, yeah, you get out of college and you think you want to go do something. And then, yeah, I got to a place where I'd kind of on paper gotten to the place that I wanted to and found mm-hmm. out that, you know, the reward wasn't at the end of the rainbow like I thought. And so you start looking around going, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, fucking A, what's, right. <laughs> what's, what's next? What are we going to do? This ain't good. Right. You had to choose a different journey. Yeah. Yeah, right. definitely. Where was the original flight to? Quito, Ecuador. Okay. Yeah. 
so like you know like i said last time i the job that i had gotten right out of college i worked with some really cool people some people that i still consider to be very close friends today and mm-hmm. um Andrea Crosby, had, I remember she was, you know, probably our age now, maybe a little bit older than us at the time, and I was like 20, mm-hmm. and she had been in the Peace Corps, and she had used all the money that they you give you to reacclimate to the United States, she had used it to buy land in the area of Ecuador that she was stationed in originally. Oh, cool. So she is the, yeah, Tabuga is the name of the town, mm-hmm. and uh, she is the, the gringa of Tabuga, <laughs> is the way they describe her. <laughs> That's what she's known as. There's a better title, but I can't remember it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she, um, yeah, she had used all of her money, and then, you know, they give you, and bought a piece of property, and had been cultivating it into a, a farm at that point, so. And you were headed that way. I just knew, I think a big blowout trip was always, you know, ever since high school, I kind of had this rough plan that I was like, all right, I'm going to go work for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to take off for a little bit and see what happens. And yep. then I got to 24, and I found myself in a relationship. And on paper, I had a good job and you know, was hanging out with these people. And I just kind of started to see the lifestyle that I was headed towards, mm-hmm. and it scared the shit out of me. Okay. I, yeah, I was not wasn't living a life I was proud of. It looked good on paper and all mm-hmm. the things, but it was not. I was not stoked. So, um, yeah, kind of hit that. If I don't leave now, I'm never going to go moment. Well, I'm happy you, happy you left. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It was necessary. That, a lot of people yeah, don't. I think so, man. I think you get, it's comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Like you find this place that you get to, especially mid-20s, you've kind of put in your time and like you get to a place professionally that you like. Maybe you're mm-hmm. dating somebody. Maybe the friend group is good and it just kind of is easy yeah. and, um, and it's known. And there's a lot that's unknown that's a little scary, um, but I think it's I think it's a little bit too easy to fall into that comfortable place and not really push yourself and try for something new, yeah, something better. You yeah. talk to some people along, you know, as you're sitting in different hostels every week and you're having the same conversations mm-hmm. with 24, you know, like everybody's your age, and you know, you'd have these like very level-headed conversations with people yeah. who were like, yeah, well, I did, a, you know, everything. You know, I kind of tied up some loose ends, and then I came traveling. I'm going to go back. It's going to be fine. And mine was more like, sell everything. Fire sale. Let's get the fuck out of here. Like, like I got to go now. It was yeah. not a, It was as you saw at Limelight, it was not a mentally stable place to work <laughs> off of. It was a... Uh, I saw you with your last hat and your last shirt, I think. That was, was about right. Yeah. The car was gone. The lease was coming up. It was all, it was all happening at that point, and I was yeah. getting pretty freaked out is the truth. Well, we talked about uh, some of these conversations that you have in the hostels and just with these other people you meet, how comforting they are when you hear other people your age having the exact same worries and insecurities about life. 100%. That was just such a relief, man. Mm -hmm. Because, like, yeah, I'd have conversations with friends here, and I think especially at that time, you know, I might have been so wrapped up in myself that I was having a hard time hearing other people, but the Mm -hmm. way that I remember it, like, why are you doing this? And so you begin to feel a little bit weird for wanting to do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, you start to second guess it. You know, I had bought the ticket six months before I left. Mm -hmm. I bought the ticket in June (laughs) for 12,000 airline miles and 35 bucks. And so, like, it was six months away. It was Uh cheap as hell. Like, well, I had about two years to sit in a car and think about the decision. And then once I bought the ticket, I had about six months to go through the, the final freak out phase. <laughs> of like, <laughs> oh, are you shit, sure? it's really yeah. happening. All right. Well, fucking, <laughs> here we go, man. You have it's, to do it now. 
Got to do it now. That's, yeah. I mean, it's been a technique that I use in my life still is just buy the ticket. So first destination is in Ecuador. And did you go immediately to the land that your friend bought from the Peace Corps? Yeah. Yeah. Stay the night in Quito. You know, it's the um, capital city there. So mm-hmm. I get there that night. Man, it just started off so bad, too. Yeah. Like I had, <laughs> Again, I had taken my sister down, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get into the Quito airport. I literally, I did, I was like, this is a town of many millions of people. And I just knew the name of the hostel that I wanted to go to. And I don't speak any Spanish. I speak, like I had done like Duolingo for like three weeks before and been like, dude, you're killing This is going to be great. You got this. You made it to the second Uh, round. Dude. And like immediately, luckily the currency thing, I didn't have to figure out. Mm -hmm. Ecuador works off the U S dollar. Um, so like that, I mean, you know, I, that was another reason that I liked going there first is like, I don't want to even have to fiddle with the money. Sure. You know, like it's just the language. And I remember getting into this, you got to take a bus into the old airport. And then from there you take taxis into the city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just remember getting into the back of a cab with this, with my sister and you know, all the cabbies, when you're walking out of the airport, it, everybody's swarming you, yeah. you know, where do you want to be? You know, don't, don't almost, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. where do you, where do we want to go? Where do you want to go? Let me take yeah. you, let me take you. And you have to choose somebody out of that swarm. And then you're just in their cab now. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember I was just like, yeah, secret garden, you know, <laughs> El Jardin Secreto or something like And like, it's he was a just hostel. Like, yeah. <laughs> he is, uh, you know, of course, no English. Like we ended up driving halfway there and I'm like, are you, <laughs> you know, again, Julia's sitting right next to me. We had to drive back to the place that the bus dropped us off so that somebody that spoke English could look it up online, the address, because oh, I didn't even no. have the address. So, like, immediately, like, 30 seconds into the trip, I'm already like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? What are you doing? So, yeah, stay the night. I mean, but that night was amazing. Mm-hmm. You check into the hostel, it's beautiful. Three stories, it overlooks all of Quito. Oh, like, man. incredible, and just, bam, right off the bat, started meeting cool people. There was this Australian, you know, I don't remember anybody's name from that night, but like we were like playing cards with this group until three in the morning. It's this really nice, you know, upper terrace that looks out over the whole city. You're having dinner, meeting people. And so it was getting off the plane was tough. But that first night, it was a relief. You know, this this was your first time in a hostel, right? First time in a hostel. Yeah. Secret Garden in, in Quito, Ecuador. I'm glad it was a good one because we, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but there, there are hostels out there that are horrible places. Terrible. <laughs> but, really bad. But really just awful, awful places. Not, humans should not spend time here. <laughs> but the fact that you started with an awesome one, yeah. because that's you know, typically the case is you go and you, yeah. you get to meet a lot of great people and you stay somewhere that is usually in you know, the heart of the city and you get to see all this amazing stuff. Right. And early on, you love having the conversation that you will learn to hate yes where are you from where right. are you going what's going on why are you here you know and so but you love it in the beginning those first couple times new, asking oh yeah. fresh oh you're from australia Dude. i've never met anyone from Anybody australia from there like and then the two things. weeks into it you're like i've met 20 people from Sydney. nobody cares <laughs> that you're from melbourne <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So first night goes well in this hostel. Yeah. You're out there with your sister and you've met some some nice people at yeah, this, yeah, this hostel. Yeah. But still, I'm in the headspace for a long time. I was in that headspace, I would say. Just frazzled, man. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And sure. I had just dropped everything I knew. How long did it take you to get from Quito to your friend's land? Uh, 
was about, it was a full day, you know, mm-hmm. you get on the, you get in the taxi in the morning and you go to the bus station and I've never been to a bus station mm-hmm. in uh, Latin America at that point. This was all new to me and there's just, you know, a hundred kiosks and again, you know, it's everybody's yelling at you and they yeah. want your business and they want you to get in their taxi. They want you to get on their bus. They want you to buy their thing and you mm-hmm. got to, in that kind of chaos you have to make the decision which one am i going with that kind of a thing and so chaos being in spanish too yeah yeah a new language a new style of interaction that i was not used to you know you become Mm -hmm. comfortable with it after a while but in the beginning it's very abrasive and it's Mm -hmm. very like uh, you would never see it at a bus station in the states so i can't buy this greyhound ticket or don't i give shit i'm getting 12 bucks an hour right now (laughs) fuck off like but this dude is the ayudante on the bus Mm -hmm. so he wants you on his bus because he gets a cut of the share and so yeah got on uh Whichever guy was yelling the loudest at the time, I'm sure. <laughs> he seems nice. He's trying he looks hard. like a good driver. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we got on. It was about three transfers um, to get to the coast. Mm-hmm. And then once we got to the coast, we got on the bus going the wrong way for a second and figured it out about halfway through town. I was like, the ocean shouldn't be on that side of the bus. That's not. That's not we're going north. I need to be going south. Even in the headspace you're at, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I've got a basic sense of direction. And this is no bueno. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, finally got down and, you know, of course the bus drops you off like a mile down the road from where you're supposed to be. And I have no idea what's going on, you know? And so I'm going and speaking in English to people that haven't heard English in a long time, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Right. And, um, but you know, finally made it to this Tabuga is the name of the village. It's on the Ecuadorian coast, um, south of Pedernales and yeah, made it to the farm right at sunset. So I was oh, pretty good. nervous about getting there in the daylight. It was starting to get really dark. And mm-hmm. Julie and I are walking down the road and cars are just careening past. And I don't know where to go. You know, like I, I, had, I had the written directions, but yeah. you're not making a phone call at this uh-huh. point. I don't have I never bought a phone plan ever when I was mm-hmm. out and about. And so I'm like going off of these written directions and they're pretty good, but not, <laughs> you know, like uh, when there's no road signs, it's hard to say which one is the correct uh-huh. one. Right. But eventually the people in town kind of reckon, you know, like, oh, you come on <laughs> this, <laughs> you, this you, way. You, you're you only to going to one place up. in yeah. this town, bud. <laughs> <laughs> go up the road. Just keep going. And so people are, you know, just, of course, the kindest. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these are very rural folks and um, everybody lives and works in town. You make do with what you have. And, and so we made it there that night at sundown. So when did the uh, recording start? When did you start bringing around audio recording, whether it be yourself or just recording the sounds of the towns? Would have been that first two weeks, man. Yeah. Yeah. The the stuff that you've heard um, is pretty much all from there and the following weeks. Okay. Yeah. So all that stuff is from the first month. I can't even, I would love to talk to some people from that time just because mm-hmm. I don't really remember it too well. Oh, I do. I remember the day to day, but I don't mm-hmm. remember my interaction with anybody. Gotcha. Just because I was so enveloped in myself that I couldn't see anything else. Well, did these audio recordings help bring back some memories? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When you hear certain ones, what comes to mind? You had a couple that you showed me there. There's one of a machete getting sharpened. would have been yeah would have been at the farm um audio for me is you know more important than even video or written word Mm -hmm. hearing things hearing the way that people speak hearing the birds in the forest people's you know 
intonation and tone and cadence, how I, you know, all that stuff is fascinating to me. And so I was just kind of recording the world around me at some points. And in some points it would have been conversations, that type of a thing. Um, but what does it make me think of? You just remember being in this very, you know, yeah, just this kind of like foundation state is what I'd say. I, I had gotten to a point that I really didn't like, and I was living a life that I really was not proud of. And making decisions and the way that I interacted with myself and the world around me, I was not stoked on. And mm-hmm. um, and I remember making a very conscious effort at that point, especially at the farm. I just remember, just relearn everything. Mm-hmm. Take yourself down to the... I was working construction at the time, so everything relates to those terms. Well, I'm taking myself down to the studs, you know, like, <laughs> which just meant, like, I just wanted to, like, okay, I'd been living my life for 24 years at that point, and I'd been making decisions based on whatever you do because of the things that you learn when you grow up and the people that you're around and the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I remember a very conscious effort to just be like, take it all down, mm-hmm. take all of that away, and just relearn step-by-step step what it means to be a human being. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that was the mindset that I was in. For mm-hmm. sh- I, I, I know it because I hear myself <laughs> say it then, and I remember it clearly. I was, <laughs> Even in the way that you talk to people, you were kind of relearning. Wholeheartedly. Probably first and foremost. Is that right? Yeah. You know, the girlfriend that I talk about at the time, she had given me uh, Cat's Cradle, like Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. And uh, uh, the line that I always reference, and there's a couple friends that I, you know, have, uh, is that beware of the man that works hard to learn something, learns it, and becomes no wiser than before. He is full of murderous resentment for himself and others that have come by their ignorance the hard way. And I remember reading that line at the farm and just like my whole world got rocked. Oh, wow. I had been, you know, I'd spent two years in a car at that point, driving from job site to job site, doing my whole, like it was just me in a car thinking about how and where and why I wanted to live my life. And I had told myself many times how I wanted to do it and I wasn't doing it still. And so there comes that line mm-hmm. and it just rocked my shit and like it, but it, it was a nice stability to work, you know, a platform to work off of. Then it was just like, that's what I've been doing, dude. And again, I had resentment for other people and for myself at that mm-hmm. time. So it just rang true. And, uh, but it was nice to, again, same thing with the haunt, just hearing that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what humans strive for. So it was really nice to read something that's very relevant too. Yeah. 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 I've got pictures of tens of hundreds of pictures on my phone of like the line in the book that mm-hmm. I read at the time that I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, you know, like, this, is rocking my this means world. everything to me. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. And it is nice in a book form, I think, too. You were out there. You were recording the sounds of the, you know, the cities that you were in, the towns you were in. Mm-hmm. You were also recording conversations of the people you were meeting. Correct. Well, you showed me a couple of these recordings. There's one of a girl singing. Yeah. Where Where was that one? Because that, that one, I feel like every every time we talk about it, you get you get a smile on your face, which is I good. I love it so much, man. Uh, it's uh, in Tabuga. Um, we had walked down the farm that I was working at. They had, you know, a coffee field, but there was a lot of coffee growers in that area. And mm-hmm. in Latin America, there's always these guys that'll come through town that want to sell you the fertilizer that'll make your, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. So they had gathered the whole town together and she was the entertainment. Is that right? Yeah. For the townspeople. They I had a you. big barbie, you know, they invited everybody from town down, mm-hmm. all of Tabuga, which is a couple hundred people, mm-hmm. um, came down and you know there's a big 
bought a food out and a stage and chairs set up and then this little four-year-old girl or i don't know how old she was but mm-hmm. she just gets up there and starts ripping and i had I had the audio recorder at the time and it's just i i don't know something about it mm-hmm. it, yeah, it brings a smile to my face every time i think about it <laughs> That's a good moment to capture. Yeah, yeah, it was that kind of stuff too that I was looking for, right? Conversations wholeheartedly, but also talking shit with Sean. It was gonna be, <laughs> it was gonna be all encompassing. It's different than a picture because a picture you're holding the phone in front of your face mm-hmm. and you're looking at it through the screen. And what I really like is that I could just hit that little red button and be in the moment. Yeah but also have a chance to go back and listen to it again. Yeah, it doesn't really take away from the moment to have a recorder Just hit that on. button, put yeah. it back in the pocket, don't even think about it, don't yeah. worry about it, because you're just taking in what's coming. Yeah, yeah. and you're a narc. <laughs> yeah, right, and if, you know, when drugs get brought up, I can take it to the police. I don't know. Some of these moments that you capture, there's one of you talking to a uh, parrot? Well, sure, yeah, yeah. Are you whistling at me, huh? What do you say? Come on. Come on. Get on my shoulder, dummy. Come on. Hola. Hola. Oh, cookie? You want a cookie? Is this one, is this also on the farm? I feel like a lot of these t- took place on that for the first couple weeks. No, farm. this would have been... Um, so let's see, Julia and I, we leave the farm t- about two weeks in and uh, we head up to Cotopaxi as a volcano in Ecuador mm-hmm. and uh, we stayed up there and um, there was a guy at the farm, Carlis Vidas from, uh, oh my God, Latvia, mm-hmm. from Latvia. Uh, he, he had come to the farm as well and we'd met up and we had plans to meet up in Banos, mm-hmm. which is another town. So he had come to South America and he had heard of ayahuasca mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it and this was his time to do it. And so... He's like, do you want to go into the woods with me? You know, we were going to the Amazon, the Ecuadorian part of the Amazon forest. And um, that parrot was in the village that we went to where he wanted to try ayahuasca. No kidding. And how was his uh, ayahuasca trip? How did that go? You didn't take it with him. No, I (laughs) was not in the headspace to be doing any hard hallucinogens that I had heard varying stories about. Yeah, sure. And so um, how was his trip? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he, again, he was pretty focused on doing it. I told him I'd go with him, and mm-hmm. if it makes sense, for, if I feel right about it, I'll do it with you, and if sure. not, but I'm not going to tell you I'm going to do it with you because I don't think I'm going to be ready for it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, pretty immediately once we got there, it looked like a bad idea. <laughs> but to be this is a guy, you, you're making your own decisions, sure. right? When you're traveling with somebody... <laughs> You do you, bud. And so I was on this excursion with him, and uh, it didn't go as planned, is what I'd say. Okay. Uh, according to him, he took a little bit, you know, and he's just in this. We had gone with a bunch of people, and most of the tour group had left, and it was just he and I and these two Dutch girls, I want to say. And um, 
he was the only one out of the four of us that was going to take ayahuasca. And so we're kind of hanging out with this village the whole day, you know, a nice day. And then uh, that night he was sitting, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like this uh, hut, Mm -hmm. but it was a big pen, like a horse pen or something like that, but a thatched roof. And he was just sitting there and I, he and I were having a conversation. I actually have one of these recordings of him taking it. Really? Oh, hundred (laughs) percent. And uh, and me going back into the bedroom and having a chat with the girls afterwards. Tomamos ayahuasca. Vamos? Alright, brother. Alright. You know where I'm at. Come find me if you need me. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It'll just be interesting to talk to him in the morning, see his experience. Yeah. I wonder. And so he's sitting there, and uh, according to him, he takes the first glass and kind of sits there for a half an hour, and nothing's happening. And, the, you know, the shaman at this time, he was a, he was an interesting guy. You say shaman I, in, in air quotes. Why do you say that? There's a lot of shamans that you come across <laughs> in South America. This right? guy, Yeah, the, I mean, you know... Many people are, I think, kind of trying to capitalize off of it. Ayahuasca is a story that you hear over and over again, mm-hmm. whether people did it or whether they haven't done it and their experience with it or whether they're going to take it. That mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a common theme in South America, I would say, um, especially depending on what country you're in. And so uh, this guy was, uh, you know... <laughs> He didn't qualm any of my fears. <laughs> Let's say if he, if he was some calming presence and was going to help you through a tense time, sure. I could have been on board. You know, I'm a, I'm a fun guy. I'll give it a shot. Which is what I think they're supposed to. Right. right. That is the that would be the hope for somebody that was going to help you through a very tumultuous experience. Yeah. But this guy was like, you know, he didn't, he was, yeah, you want to here's a cup of ayahuasca. <laughs> Get the fuck give it a go, but. Like, <laughs> And so it wasn't like any other story I'd heard. And again, I'm only three weeks in at this point. I don't mm-hmm. really know what's going on. Two weeks of which you've been on a farm. And so I hadn't heard the stories that I know now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that that wasn't the right situation for me. And so he takes the first glass and nothing happens. And then he takes, uh, he asks for more. Because he was like, hey, man, like, you know, this hasn't happened for me yet. Or whatever is supposed to happen is, mm-hmm. I don't know what is, but this ain't it. So he takes the second glass and then, uh, you know, ayahuasca is weird because everybody that I talked to had a very, like, different countries, different shamans, different situations. All of them describe this very similar experience. What, No matter the setting that they take it in, they describe this mother ayahuasca is what they call it and this being coming to them. And taking them through past situations in their life that was giving them trouble and just kind of shedding light on it and being mm-hmm. like, hey, remember this thing that you think about that gives you anxiety and, mm-hmm. and like is really troublesome for you? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry. You know, and it just kind of works you down the line. And I have I have seen people, really good friends of mine that have went in with shoulders up and came out with shoulders down type thing wow. where you could see that this was a very stressed, tense individual, this guy Callum that I met in Columbia is who I'm speaking of. And, uh, you know, he had, he had had some demons and mm-hmm. when I, and I met him before and like, you know, smoking weed every day, just trying to self-medicate all the mm-hmm. things. 
and then him and a buddy went off and took ayahuasca and I got to talk to him afterwards and I've, I've seen the change it can be in a person and uh, Carlise described none of those things <laughs> oh no <laughs> he just <laughs> he uh he just talked about being super kind of heightened awareness of, he said he could hear like rats running underneath the floorboards and there was like crickets chirping in his ears, but none of this, you know, like I say, everybody else tells you a very similar story mm-hmm. and it's, and it doesn't feel forced. It feels like real from what they're saying. Yeah. And he had none of those. <laughs> his was, and he couldn't see for like a day and a half oh, afterwards. No. And so I would, he was laying, you know, like he, we woke up in the morning. I was like, how are you doing? He'd been puking all night. And uh, he, his vision was impaired for some reason. And so, um, you know, I was just bringing him, just, hey, what do you, the girls and I were hanging out in the village the next mm-hmm. day. Carlise was in the room kind of, laid up you know not not doing well and so just tried to you know whatever you need bud you want water you want crackers you want something but he was in a state he was uh sick so if you had any words of advice for people that want to come down to south america and try ayahuasca what would it be Uh, for me, I know that's the, that's the ultimate time. Is that the last time? No, I'm not no. gonna try it again. Was there a turning point at all in your attitude in life or just your well-being? Did, is there a turning point that sticks out or did you feel like it was gradual? Um, from there, I split ways with Carlise after that. Flew down to Peru to meet up with a buddy. He was... Uh, uh, Nico was his name. He's a friend of mine from college. Seen him around, and he happened to be down in Peru while I was in Ecuador. And he was like, "Do you want to do this loop with me?" Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that yeah, at the end of that loop, um, it kind of helped me. You know, like I, I felt a little better at that time. Mm-hmm. Just the whole process was just kind of like, all right, dealing with the foundation of yesterday, right, and moving on from mm-hmm. there. I wouldn't say a specific moment that reaches out where I'm like a moment of clarity or anything like that. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. But just as I kept going and as you talk to more people and as you realize that you're not alone in these feelings that you have, you start to gain some confidence in Mm -hmm. that regard. And, um, you know, about two months in, I started feeling quite a bit better about my situation just because I had some footing. I wasn't on such loose ground as I was before. Are there any specific times that you can look back on during that trip that bring you a lot of joy that make you very happy? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Watching the Super Bowl at a beach bar and working at the bar in Peru and what that was and all the coworkers that I was with, uh, Salar de Uni in Bolivia was incredible and um, I had met a, met a girl in Chile and was pretty stoked on that situation. Mm-hmm. That ended up being a huge part of the trip. The whole month of April in Colombia was pretty spectacular because of that. Um, so there are many, many moments that stick out for sure. E- even if you're having a tough time, you're still loving it. Yeah.